Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. Our guest today is Devin McGraw, the Chief Regulatory Officer for Citizen, a tech company creating a platform that helps people collect, organize, and share their medical records digitally. Before joining Citizen, she directed U.S. Health Privacy and Security Policy as Deputy Director for Health Information Privacy at the Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights, the office that oversees HIPAA policy and enforcement. She also served as Acting Chief Privacy Officer for the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT. Devin also served as an advisor to the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Network, as well as the All of Us Research Initiative. Today, we're going to talk about medical records and HIPAA. Devin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So to start, most people know the acronym HIPAA, H-I-P-A-A, but I'm willing to bet that not everyone knows what all those letters stand for. So you were one of the people that was around when HIPAA started. Could you tell us the full name of it and exactly what the act aimed to do? So HIPAA actually stands for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. So the I is for insurance and the P is for portability, not for privacy and information privacy. So it's interesting to think about how we got out of that statute, the set of privacy rules that now govern health information held by our doctors and our hospitals and our health plans. And it's because there were a set of provisions in that HIPAA statute that were intended to take some administrative costs out of the healthcare system by digitizing and standardizing the payment transactions that take place every day between health insurance plans and doctors and hospitals. And because Congress recognized that digitizing that data might create some privacy risks, they said to the Department of Health and Human Services, please come up with regulations to protect the data that we are now going to be digitizing and standardizing. And so therefore, the Department of Health and Human Services took several years actually, but in 1999, they established the very first versions of the privacy and security regulations that protect health information in most doctor's offices, in all hospitals that are collected by health insurance plans. So that is HIPAA as we know it actually came out of an insurance portability statute, which is interesting. It is. And and HIPAA was specifically aimed at electronic medical records. It really wasn't being talked about before things started being digital. No, that, that is absolutely true. However, the regulators recognized that data isn't just digital. There were still a lot of paper records being used by hospitals and by doctor's offices. And so the HIPAA privacy rule actually is what I like to call medium agnostic, which means <laughs> it, it covers all data in any form, whether it's in paper, whether it's in spoken form, or whether it's actually in digital form. The HIPAA security rule sets out detailed expectations around electronic data. But you're absolutely right that the whole genesis of HIPAA way back in, in 1996 was about, oh, we're digitizing data. Oh, suddenly we need to protect it. 
Okay. So the privacy angle of HIPAA is what people seem to talk about the most. That's where they seem to connect it. But what I think a lot of people don't know is that HIPAA also guarantees people access to their medical records in a timely manner. So could you talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. It has been part of the HIPAA privacy rule that individuals have the right to access their health information and get copies of it really from the very beginning, from way back in 1999. And and I actually have to give a huge amount of credit to the regulators at the time for recognizing that this right of people to access their information was as important as protecting it. So could you talk about the timeliness? Because I, I don't know that a lot of people know that they can request their records and that huh. the, the entities really have, there is a time limit on when they need to get back to people, if, if my understanding of the act is correct. Oh, your understanding is absolutely correct. And and the elements of the right of access are extensive. And I think there are a lot of people that don't sort of fully understand the scope of their right. You have the right to get a copy of your health information within 30 days of requesting it. You also have the right to get that information in the form or format that you want it in. So if you like to keep a paper binder of your of your health information, you can get it on paper. If you would prefer that it be sent to you by email so you can keep it in your computer or, or send it to you on a CD, you can get it that way. It's, it's, you get to choose as an individual how you want your records in the way that's most convenient for you, as long as they have the capability to give it to you in the way that you're asking. You have Again, you have the right to get it in 30 days, and you have the right to get it without being charged an exorbitant amount of money for it. Entities can charge reasonable cost-based fees, but but only to the extent it's necessary to cover the labor associated with making that copy. So back in the paper days, that meant how much time did it take for somebody to stand in front of a photocopier <laughs> and make you know copies of every single page, right? But, but in a digital era, how much labor does it take to actually make a copy by pressing a button to sort of download something or upload it onto a CD or or press go and press send on the email. It, it's very little. So, so the, the amount that they can actually charge by law is very small. And in fact, we're seeing that most institutions don't charge patients at all because they want to do right by patients, I think, for many of them, but also because the amount that they could charge is so small, it's actually not worth doing. That makes sense. Now, do you know at this point in time, are pretty much all facilities and providers using electronic medical records or are some places still using paper? There are some physician practices that are still using paper. Most hospitals that I know of, in fact, I, I, it could be as high as 99 to 99%. You know, there's always some that are not. But for the most part, all hospitals are, are using electronic medical records. Now, most physician practices are, the, the number who are not is very small. Oftentimes, it's a lot of providers who are getting ready to transition to retirement. And the effort to adopt electronic medical records is not insignificant, and they just are sort of ready to finish out their their lives as doctors and not not maybe go the route of electronic medical records. But there are you know significant financial incentives from the federal government 
to adopting those records, and they were enormously successful at spurring the healthcare industry to adopt electronic medical records. So it's pretty rare now to walk into an office or a hospital and not see com- computers as opposed to those files that we used to see in the, the paper files that we used to see when we went to the doctor, even as, as short a time ago as five years ago. Sure. The I guess the issue that I sometimes have is every not every, but a lot of the different providers I go to use different systems. So I have like a portal for this doctor and a different portal for that doctor and yet a third portal for another doctor. So it's from my end, I find it can be difficult just to keep track of accessing all the different types of electronic medical records or electronic medical record systems that the different doctors choose to use. Oh, and much less remembering your password, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, is there any yeah. movement to, to, and I know this is probably reducing competition and things like that, but is there any move to sort of standardize that at all? Is that being talked about? Absolutely. No, absolutely. So a, a couple of things to note. So the information that's in each of those portals that you have at all of the many doctors that you see is actually just a snapshot. It's important information for you, but it's not actually all the information that you have a right to. You have a right under HIPAA to way more information than it is exposed to in those portals. And the federal government has initiatives underway to increase the amount of information that will be in each of your portals so that you can see your x-ray images and you can see the note that your doctors and your nurses may have made for your last hospitalization, like everything, your pathology reports, everything that you would have a right to should ultimately be in that portal. And today, they're not required to be, but in the future, they will be. So one could argue that the problem might actually get worse in terms of, you know, now you have way more information, but you have it in five different places, right? Well, the right. other thing that the, that the federal government has proposed is requiring these electronic medical records to basically have pathways, application programming interfaces, APIs that will enable you to hire an app or a service to go in and collect all of your data from all of your portals, right? So that it's centrally all in one place. This is something that Citizen is doing, collecting right. all that data for you so that you only have one place where you need to go and all of your data is in one place. So, so they're not going out and telling all the doctors, well, you, you know, you have to use only this one portal, but the standard way that they have to make these pathways available will be a requirement so that you, you as a consumer, you as a patient can choose the app that you want to use, choose the service that you want to use, and then have all of your information routinely collected by that app on your behalf. You can then use it and share it as you see fit, which will give patients tremendous amount of power that today they lack because their data is in five different portals. It's not all the data they have a right to, and yet they want to take more control of their health. They want to seek out other treatment options. They want to they want to make sure that their data is made available for research programs that they care about. So the, the environment is going to change for the better really soon. We expect these rules that were proposed by the federal government earlier this year to be finalized either close to the end of this calendar year or maybe sort of bleeding into the first quarter of 2020. And then within two years, there there are also all those capabilities are supposed to be installed throughout the country. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, so you know, change change is afoot and it's 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 going to be the environment, I think, will look 
very different for patients and their data in, in the next two to two to three years. Now, I know your company, Citizen, as you said, you're working to develop a way for people who have been diagnosed with cancer to gather and manage all the medical records from the different doctors and hospitals. But what if somebody has a disease other than cancer or doesn't really have a disease at all, just wants to gather all the, you know, up health updates and, you know, their annual physicals? What are some other ways people can request and then keep track of their medical records? What would you suggest? So I encourage people to get copies of their medical records, even though it it is an investment of time today because we don't have these automatic automated capabilities in place yet, the ones that I just talked about. You can get your records from all of your medical providers. My tip for people is, number one, of course, to get those records because they will be enormously helpful for you to ask the provider. So if it's a doctor's office, it might just be the nurse. If it's a small practice, but if it's a larger practice or a clinic or a hospital, they have a medical records department. You go to the medical records department and say, I'm a patient and I want copies of all my medical records. Let them know the date, you know, like a time span of when you've been seen. You know, I would like all my medical records from my last visit. I would like all my medical records from my last year. I would like all my medical records from my last five years. Let's say you're you're trying to catch up. You haven't you haven't done this routinely and you and you want to get all the records because you need them. You, you don't have to give a reason. You if you want them, you can get them. And then tell them how you want to get them. Do you want them mailed to your house? Do you want them sent to you by email? And within 30 days, you should get those. If they're going to charge you, they have to give you an estimate of how much it's going to cost. And if you get that estimate and it looks like the fee is too high, like it's hundreds of dollars, that's too much money. Chances are the entity is not following HIPAA. If they refuse to give you your records in the format that you want, or if they refuse to give you your records in 30 days, then we encourage people to actually file a complaint with the Office for Civil Rights at the Department of Health and Human Services in Washington, D.C. They have an online form for people to do that because it is your right to get these records. And the government is taking a stronger stand at enforcing those rights and recently actually had an enforcement action that they announced where they fined a hospital because they were declining to give a patient the records that she was she was requesting. So this issue is getting a lot more attention. I think it's becoming easier for people to get their records, but you you know, it is your right. Is your right to get them cheaply? Is your right to get them in 30 days? Is your right to get them in the former format that you want, unless you're asking for it in some crazy format that someone can't produce? Stone and tablet or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Can you please send them by carrier pigeon? (laughs) Might be a little bit much. But if you're getting them by mail or you want them just by regular email or you want them sent to you on a CD, you make that request and and they're required to honor it. So I would encourage people to do that. Now, when people are getting these records or requesting these records, you you mentioned CT scans or x-rays. Are those able to be sent now or is that something that is coming in the next year or so? Well, they're they're not available in portals today, but they are part of your right of access. And you can ask for them to be sent to you. Usually those files are very large and they probably need to be sent to you on a CD or some sort of portable media, like again, a compact disc or a thumb drive. 
you might have to buy one of those. The institution might charge you, I should say. If, if I will say that you can't, a hospital won't take your thumb drive and load it up with your x-rays because if they insert that thumb drive into their system, they have introduced the potential for viruses or malware that might be on your drive and they, they, so they won't take a full, you know, somebody else's portable media and install it in their system. But they, but if you ask them to send it to you on a thumb drive or some sort of disk, they should be able to, to get that for you. And then you'll see, then you'll be able to get copies of those images for yourself. You can keep them on the disk or upload them onto your computer or in some sort of cloud storage. If you, if you use it to store larger files, you have the right to get them now. It's just, you'll have to get them in some sort of portable media because the files are really large and they're not available in portal, at least not yet. And what about, I know this could take some tracking down for some people. What if they've never done it, collected their health records, I mean, and now think like, oh, that would be a good thing to do. But then they have to actually go back and figure out all the doctors that they've seen and all the institutions that they've been to is is or is it just easier to start with say let's just start now and I'll collect with everything that w- happened in the last year and go forward I tend to encourage people to get you know to certainly start with what you know from the last year right because that's going to be a little bit fresher in your mind but but that's not going to work for some people I mean I know people who have who have had a cancer diagnosis for example that they that the treatment worked for them and they're in remission and, you know, it's been a couple of years and they're thinking, wow, I really would like to get copies of those records from my first treatments because I might need them down mm-hmm. the road. Mm-hmm. And so they do have to kind of go back and try to reconstruct what happened. One potential source that can be very helpful in sort of rediscovering the roadmap of, of, of your health, like which providers you saw, are your health plan records. Oh, interesting. Because, yeah, because unless you were not insured at the time of your treatment, you, there was a, a claim submitted by every single provider who saw you to your health plan, and your HIPAA right of access also extends to your health plan records. Oh, interesting. So I didn't realize can, that. Okay. Yeah, you can ask for the records of your, of your healthcare claims. Or, you know, those explanation of benefit notices that you get mm-hmm. in the mail and some people keep them. I used to keep them. I don't know why I kept them, but I did <laughs> used to keep them. But even if you don't keep them, they are a record that you can go back to. And it, it may help you sort of rediscover the breadcrumb trail of all the places where you were seen and all the healthcare providers who took care of you so that you don't just have to rely on your own memory which, you know, depending on the passage of time may not be as good as it once was. Sure. And it's tough sometimes, I think, for people to reconstruct all of that. Again, we're finding with our users that they they know the main places where they received care, but may not necessarily remember the names of all of the physicians mm-hmm. that they saw. Sure. Um, but, but, but most of the time, the hospital will have the record of the care that was delivered, and you won't necessarily need to remember the names of the individual doctors. But again, the health plan records could be a clue to where you were seen um, if you don't remember. 
Oh yeah, that's that's a great point. I had not considered that because I guess I'm imagining too, especially if someone was diagnosed with cancer, say five, six, seven years ago, had treatment, it you know is at a state of no evidence of disease and really kind of doesn't want to think about that because it was so unpleasant. Just contacting the insurance company sounds like a very great way to start, especially you know for things that are several years old. Yeah. No, definitely. We, again, we call it the breadcrumb trail. You know, where were you? Where were you seen? The health plan, again, unless, unless you were paying out of pocket for your care, which is, which is unlikely paying fully out of pocket for your care, which is unlikely in the case of most serious illness, the health plan will know where you were. Okay. Now, is there any limit on how far you can go back? Yes. It's not a limit in the law. But it's a limit because institutions and physician practices don't keep records indefinitely. And there is not a federal law that sets a single standard for how long they need to keep records. Usually that's a matter of state law and it tends to vary. Um, But I think for care more than 10 years ago, it's extremely hard to get those records. They just may not exist anymore, which is another reason why we encourage people to get the records now, because if you wait too long, they may no longer exist. They may have been destroyed. Um, And that would be unfortunate. And particularly if you had a recurrence of an illness and wanted to go back to the records from your initial treatment, and those they're no longer available. Okay, that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Devin, thank you so much. This has been really informative and helpful. I think a lot of people are gonna benefit from the information you've shared. Well, great. I'm, re- I'm, I'm glad that I could be helpful, and I thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.